Good evening, Monsieur. Bonjour. Comment ça va? Comment ça va? Ça va bien, merci. Et toi? <laughs> wait, wait. I'm going to ask you how you are in sign language. Now you answer. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Podcast comedy gold, ladies and gentlemen. You can only be listening to Keeping Up with the Joneses mm-hmm. with Alan AJ Jones. Yep. All right, babe. I am good. I ate ice cream. I don't think I should have. No, we should never eat ice cream. No, my stomach feels gross. And yet we keep making that stupid decision. Because it really seems good at the time. Well, when you walk in a Baskin Robbins and they have s'mores ice cream, what are you supposed to do? Not eat it? Well, I didn't eat it. I had the world-class chocolate because that's what I always have. There was your error. I had s'mores and feel nothing but joy. You are lying. Maybe. Talk to me about this week. Um, about this week, well, it was a full week, wasn't it? We had a church-wide fast. A three-day fast. Talk about the opposite of eating ice cream. Um, the opposite of eating ice cream would be drinking water. No, it would be fasting, which is what we did for three days. Well, we drank water. Oh, I guess. I see where you were going with that. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, we Thank were you. fasting for three days in Jerusalem, <laughs> the whole Israel-Gaza thing. We were fasting for the situation in Iraq with ISIS, or IS as they're now known as. And we were fasting for Iceland, for the volcano. It seems like to be a lot going on in the world. There is a ton going on in the world. And I don't understand uh, a lot of it. Yeah. Oh, well, all of it. Yeah. Me neither. Except for the fact that Jesus is still on the throne. He is, thankfully. So yes, fasting. Yes, fasting. I'm... I uh, I used to be really into fasting. Talk to me about that. Well, I suppose it was more hunger striking than fasting, really. What, your motives were all wrong? Yeah, it was like, God, I need answers to the following questions and I'm not going to eat until you give them to me. I I didn't really that have that out? revelation until after that that's what I was doing. But I did do 40-day fasts for a number of years in a row. <laughs> it's amazing he wasn't moved by any of that. <laughs> no. Mm-mm. He's so confident in who he is, it's incredible. Yeah. yeah. I quite enjoyed our fast these three days. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I enjoyed breaking it more than doing it. Me too. I don't think broccoli ever tasted so good as it did on Thursday. Right, it was amazing. It was great. And I was quite proud of myself. Normally, you know, you're like, mm, what's the smartest thing I could do after fasting for three days? I know, steak and shake. But thankfully we didn't do that, we were quite wise. And what are you talking about? We never go to steak and shake. I know. I'm using hyperbole to prove a point that after not eating for long periods of time, we tend to gorge ourselves. Oh. I just thought steak and shake was fun because it rhymed and it's typically gross. The first time I ever did a fast, like the very first fast ever, I hadn't even fasted for a day and I felt like the Lord told me to fast. And so I decided I was going to do a 21 day fast on water. Overachiever much? And I did it with a friend and then we were, I thought at 20 days and then we counted it up and realized we were at 23 days. So we went to Wendy's and got a burger. I almost went to the hospital that night. I was in so much pain. I should have read something about fasting and, you know, what it was going to do to my body to do that particular thing. Like the document I posted to Twitter. Perhaps. <laughs> yeah. I, for those of you 20 who years ago, so. know nothing about fasting, we uh, shared a little bit about fasting at m on Monday night. We'll post a link to that. And IHOP in Kansas City, who know a lot about fasting wrote a very helpful document about do's and don'ts when fasting, and we'll post a link to that in the show notes. Speaking of things we put up on our website, um, 
I wrote about going to Buckingham Palace this week, babe. Did you, you did. even know that I posted that? I did, yeah. yeah. I saw it. It was like your throwback Thursday or something. Yeah, it was a throwback Thursday. My mother, bless her, mm. sent me in the mail the original invite from Buckingham Palace. Um, it's not that I forgot that that happened. Of course, I remembered it happened, but it was some 10 years ago, maybe 13 years ago, that I got invited to Buckingham Palace. And I think at the time, I completely, it just didn't really hit me what a big deal that was. I think maybe I must have become Americanized now, being in America with everybody loving the royal family. I was like, oh, yeah, that kind of was a big deal. It's a huge deal. I know, but I didn't think about that at the time. I was like, oh, I'm going to the Queen. I Tell them to, where the washrooms are. I failed to mention in the article that I had bleached yellow hair. And dreadlocks. No, I didn't have dreadlocks. I'd shaved my head and dyed my hair yellow. So were, I was there in a pinstripe Were the dreadlocks suit. before or after the shaved they yellow? Were, they were before. Duck yellow hair. Yeah, my duck yellow hair. Oh. The bathrooms were hidden in the walls. Now, I didn't mention this in the article, but I'll mention it on the podcast. But when you go into the men's washroom, so you know men have urinals or urinals, depending on which part of the world you're from. And one of the hazards of using full wall urinals, urinals, is when you pee against the wall, you get splashback. Not a Buckingham Palace, ladies and gentlemen. They have angled glass partitions that you basically pee over, and any splashback gets caught by the glass, so it doesn't end up on your trousers. Tell them about the bunnies. Oh, well, I mentioned that in the article. If you oh. read the article, you can read about my slight faux pas <laughs> by accusing the palace of having uh, bunnies in their garden when it wasn't bunnies at all. <laughs> Jock went up for Jones and his sophistication amongst royalty. Are those bunnies? What pretty bunnies. <laughs> <laughs> it is very good. Um, we've been away all weekend, haven't we? We have. Which is why we're falling asleep. That's right. <laughs> we took our wonderful team... We have 15 staff. Mm-hmm. School staff. Yeah, we all went away to the middle of nowhere to a big yes. cabin and did a retreat, mm-hmm. which was awesome. It was awesome. We ate incredible food. Yes. Shared incredible moments of joy. Yes. Prayed for people. Yes. Taught people. Yes. And floated down a river. We did. We really did. You love and floating down rivers. Jumped. Yes, I do. It, it wasn't a cliff jump, baby. Well. There was no cliffs involved. Well, it was like a 10 foot cliff. No, it was just a was, rock. Right, it was a large rock that looked cliff-like in nature. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, we didn't actually float down a river then. We went whitewater rafting. It was just a slower <laughs> version. We went on a raft in an inner tube. And it wasn't fast-moving water, right, slow-moving water. Down. But it was, you know, similar. All that really matters is that I beat Tank at pool twice. Does she verify that statement? Well, the truth is, well, I won both games, but it's because she scratched on the black. Both, both times? Games. Yeah. It's very sad. It's not a great way to win, but I'll take it. <laughs> Did you play her at ping pong? <laughs> no, or heck no. Have, have you seen her play ping pong? <laughs> they were breaking us sweat playing ping pong. <laughs> it was pretty legit. Yeah, they were. They were Sarah Parsons is surprisingly good at ping pong too. Yeah, and Shelby. Uh huh. And Matt was doing great too. He was. Yeah. All right, ping pong mm-hmm. is where it's at. That's why I didn't play. We have some listeners' questions this uh-huh. week. We have a bunch of them. Uh, this is from Twitter user SpicyBLT, and they ask, Recently, I've been pondering upon how to discern between wisdom and fear. If life is a continuous process of maturing, how do you know if you're ready to do the things that God has placed upon your heart? What do you think? Well, is that kind of two questions? They're well, pondering the wisdom. I, well, I think they're... Asking, setting the context, hey, I've been wondering, you know, what's stopping me from moving forward? Is it wisdom or is it fear? 
So how do you know when? What's the question? How do you know if you're ready to do the things God's placed upon your heart? Well, like on one level, is God opening the doors for you to do the things that he's placed upon your heart? All right. I think you're absolutely right. You start with whatever door is open to you. Opportunities lead to opportunities. I think typically as long as you, if you can be faithful in the small things that present themselves that are in the direction that you want to head, more doors will open for you. Mm-hmm. I remember my first speaking gig ever was something called Maranatha Camp. It was a kid's camp. And they said, you know, would you come and teach? Um, and I was like, yeah, I would love to teach. And so it was just, it was five days. I had to teach once a day. And that little opportunity led to another opportunity, which led to another opportunity. And here I am on the other side of the world teaching a lot. Yeah, I think I think sometimes people think, well, a door opening will look like somebody asked me to come and speak at their conference or right. something huge. And usually the door opening is, you know, you have the opportunity to lead a small group or to, you know, minister in children's ministry or whatever right. and to be faithful and, and learn your skills there um, and then continue to walk through the doors that God opens for you. I still think my favorite thing about John Arnott is that his first ministry opportunity was teaching Sunday school. Yeah, and he loved it. And he said yes. So yeah, I think blossom where you're planted. Yeah. Whatever opens for you, step through the door. And let your gift lead you. I remember Isabel Allen answering a question, like, how do you know if you're a prophet? And she was like, well, let your gift lead you. Just start prophesying wherever you have opportunity to pro- prophesy and just see what happens. Mm. Gift makes way for its giver and all that. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Um, Twitter user Happy Ever Erica asked this question. I've had a hard time explaining to people that God doesn't have a problem with women in ministry. Could you please talk about that in your podcast? <laughs> I love the question. It's like it's a, it's a very negative version of a positive truth. God doesn't have a problem with women in ministry. It's not that he doesn't have a problem with women in ministry. He uh, made a way for women to have a vital role in ministry. And obviously that is a much longer topic than we have time for in a two or three minute But we do have session. a teaching on that, don't we? We do. Is I don't, know. I don't think we have it recorded anywhere. We've spoken oh. on it a bunch of times. Did you on it in the school and we've spoken on it on um, Chris Valton, however, did just teach on it at Bethel. Did a great job. There's a two, I think a two session uh, session on women in ministry. I'll dig that out and post the link to it in the MP3, and that should tide you over until we get a chance to tackle that one. Cool. That would be a fun one to do. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, Twitter user Palin underscore 86 asks, I was wondering if you might talk about the process between broken and confused and filled continually with the love of God. Was it a series of encounters or loads of counseling or both or something else? Great question. Well, I mean, I think for me, I think probably for both of us, really, it was probably hey, a, a, a mix of yeah, both. Um I had some actual counseling, some sort of supernatural counseling by way of the Lord just doing, you know, theophostic type ministry on me while I was lying on the floor after somebody had walked by and prayed for me and that kind of stuff. And I, I'd say probably it was, for in my uh, experience, about 80% of my healing probably came through soaking and just letting the Lord wash over me, often not knowing what he was doing. 
Um, and through some of those times having encounters with him where he would sometimes show me what he's doing. Sometimes I thought he was doing something completely different until later on. Um, and then the other 20% was, you know, sitting down with people that are trained and saying, I need help. I'm not getting past this particular thing. So I think God is so brilliant at everything that he loves to work. He's not limited to one method. And so I look back on my life and realize, yes, there have been the suddenlies of God, you know, when something happens and he breaks in and it's very powerful, but equally and probably more so there's been lots of process with God. You know, that verse that says work out your, Salvation with fear and trembling. There's a lot of process in your maturing with God. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I can identify times that people have prayed for me and something just instantly shifted. But I can also identify lots of um, just journeying with God, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it seems and frustrating. choosing to die and choosing to let right. God, you know, resurrect things. And, right. And it seems mm-hmm. frustrating, but it produces just as much fruit. Especially mm-hmm. in hindsight, I think that's probably where you build depth with God. Yeah. When you don't have what you think you need. And then you persevere for breakthrough. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would agree the same. I've had moments where the Lord just broke in amazingly, and then moments when I've gone and saw other people's wisdom and counsel, and had people pray for me and deliverance and all that sort of stuff. And then also just the sanctification process of dying, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. And and um, exercising tenacity to just keep pursuing God even when you don't understand what's going on. All right, brilliant. If you have a if you have a question. For us, if you go to alanandaj.com slash ask, you can leave us a question. We'll do our best to answer it next week's podcast. Love, I wanted to talk about our topic for this week. Woo-hoo. I want to talk about leadership. Yep. So off the top of your head, what makes a great leader? Well, it's funny because I was thinking about it in the car today and I was thinking, are we talking about um, people that we would pick to be leaders or people that we would choose to follow? But I'm not sure that the answer makes any difference to that question. Right. So I think a leader is a is a leader. So probably things like um, being teachable, being people that um, hear God well, being humble. Um, you know, stuff like that. Like I would think whether you're talking about people that you want to raise to be leaders or people that you want to follow, mm-hmm. you want people that are safe so for people to be safe they need to have some key elements like being teachable Mm -hmm. being humble pursuing god right you know not always having to be right all that kind of stuff is um i think really really important what about you babe i i'd fully agree i remember Derek prince saying i'm not sure it was this statement verbatim but it went along the lines of never trust a man who doesn't walk with a limp and so I think about Jeff Dollar as a great leader. There's somebody who's super vulnerable and super real. If you've ever been to our church, you can pick that up instantly. And he absolutely walks with a limp. And and by that, I mean, he's not presenting himself as the answer man. Behold, my children, I have all the answers. He's just somebody who wants to follow the Holy Spirit. And he's absolutely humble. He's absolutely teachable. And I, I love that. I think now that we're in the position where we get to raise leaders, of course, we've been thinking very intentionally about it. And um, John Wimber, I remember John, uh, was it John Arnott that told us the story? Anyway, I heard the story about John Wimber speaking at a seminar on church growth. And so he's in the middle of the seminar, you know, the seminar is labeled church growth. And he's probably about 15, 20 minutes into his talk. 
And one of the people that he's addressing, you know, in this workshop, puts up his hand and said, I'm, I'm sorry, this workshop says that you're going to be speaking about church growth, and uh, you haven't mentioned uh, church growth at all. And John was like, no, trust me, I'm, I'm getting there. And so he keeps talking, and about 15 minutes later, the, the same guy stands up and says, I'm so sorry, it feels like I'm wasting my time here. I came here to learn principles of church mm. growth, and you're just talking all about you know character and this and that and the next thing. And John's like, stay with me. Honestly, we're, we're getting there. Continues for a little bit more, and this guy gets up a third time. It's just like, seriously, like I came here to learn about church growth. And John took off his glasses and you know just asked the man this brilliant question. He's like, this is about church growth. Let me ask you a question. How many people do you want in your church who are exactly like you? And th- Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. And the man, you know, solemnly thought about it for a second and he said, not many. And John said, exactly, and continued. And his whole point was, his teaching was all talking about refinement and character and the need for, you know, great character and, and godliness. And I think the question we have when we're thinking about leaders is how many more people do we want like this? Right. Because leaders replicate themselves right you you you, had that you great reproduce phrase. what you are no you teach what sure. you know but you, you reproduce what you are right yeah when jeff and i were at bethel a couple of years ago now for our leaders advance somebody asked danny silk the same question and i loved his answer he said you know whenever we're thinking about releasing new leaders the question we ask ourselves is will this person protect the culture that empowers them and i thought that gosh that's amazing because mm. The danger in releasing leaders is if they're unhealed, then their focus in being a leader is, well, of course, uh, the the focus of any leader is leading people. Mm -hmm. But if you're unhealed, there's a temptation to lead them into your own empire that you're building Mm -hmm. rather than leading them towards the vision that the organization is building. And so I think we're probably looking for people with, like you said, healed up hearts who are humble and teachable. Mm-hmm. That's a huge big deal. And we try and be that as well. Right. You know, as leaders, right. be people that you can come to and go, hey, actually, you know, be teachable and be able to receive input as well. What is our, um, what would you say our top three non-negotiables are for releasing leaders? Um. I don't. I need a moment to contemplate that. Okay. Do you, Do you have top three that you? No, I. Of? I would say. I mean, a, character. Yeah, visible love for the Lord, a demonstrable mm-hmm. love for the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, you're looking at them thinking, "Yeah, I want more people like this." Yeah, I mean that that one thing makes it so much easier to to uh, clarify it in an instant. You know, when you can meet right. someone, and go, "Yeah, I want 10, 15, 20 50 more of you, mm-hmm. easy. Don't want to pour my life into you and you know raise you up into leadership? Absolutely. I remember, and this is slightly different, but the principle will come through, I'm sure. I remember when we were running the prophetic team in Toronto. And so we would lead our team of prophetic ministers. And I remember somebody coming up to me one Sunday morning going, mm-hmm. uh, do you lead the prophetic mm-hmm. team? And I was like, I do. And they're like, well, I want to be on the team. And I'm like, oh, well, that's awesome. You know, we do prophetic training here and, you know, you'd be able to fill an application form at that. And they're like, well, I'm a prophet and I could absolutely read your mail. And I'm like, oh, well, then I'm so sorry. That's not what we're looking for. And they, they were just astonished. And I was like, I, I'm actually more interested in somebody who can represent the heart of the Father than I am somebody that can read other people's mail. 
Because actually I can teach you how to prophesy. I can teach you how to access and hear the voice of the Lord and mm-hmm. teach you how to um, see in the Spirit. That stuff is easy to teach. It's more about the heart. But humility and mm-hmm. love and the priority on people rather mm-hmm. than prophet, prophecy mm-hmm. is actually what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And I think, think the same thing. There's many you know, talented people, but unless the heart and the character's right, mm-hmm. the talent is going to run amok. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I... I, think- I do love that. I think too. You're looking for people that uh, I don't know how to phrase this. That love well horizontally, not just vertically. You know that that they're not just showing love and affection for people in leadership, but they actually demonstrate in their life that they love well, regardless of title, regardless mm-hmm. of you know. Um, because if you are only loving and honoring those people that are above you, then um, I think something's out of whack. Mm-hmm. So I don't know who it was that taught me this phrase, but it's always stuck with me. But it was, maybe it was John. I, I forget who it was that said this to me. But they were talking about raising leaders in their ministry, and they said, to the degree that you want my platform is the degree that I don't want you on my platform. Mm-hmm. Like if your sole focus is for... Um, to gain favor so you can get on the Stage time, yeah, yeah, so that you can be seen, then actually that's the wrong motive. Yeah. And so if you think about the leaders that we've, uh, you know, really pursued and promoted and released at, at Grey Center, it's people who that's not their focus. That's not what they want. And actually our hesitancy. <laughs> it might even really not be what they want. Right. You our, have to kinda, our hesitancy are the people this. that want the microphone yeah. on the spotlight because you're like, wait, what are you after? Yeah. And what is or it that you Or what is want? it that makes you, yeah. Talk to me about what you think um, the greatest joys of leadership are. You're in leadership full-time, have been for many years. Yeah. What are some of the joys for you? Seeing people's lives transformed and getting to be one of the people that gets to call people to life. Like when I reflect on my life, there's been key leaders that if they were not where they were at the moment that they were, I wouldn't be here, you know, and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. And maybe I'd be some, I mean, maybe I'd still be somewhere doing something, um, but it's been it's been leaders calling me to life and believing in me when I didn't believe in myself. And so getting to do that for other people, like getting to call people to life, I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. That is cool. And I love passing along what you've been given. Right. I love making room for other people. Like I, you know, we talked about John and Carol doing that for us. You know, their ceiling being our floor and just how... They were in a position to make room for us and to open doors for us and to release us. Mm-hmm. And I love, I love looking at people. And you know, when you're in leadership, God gives you a different perspective in many mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. And I love looking at people and telling them who they are. I just, I love that, and I love helping them along the process of releasing them into that. That's a tremendous joy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I kind of love that. I, I guess. Being parents in the natural of three small children is there's a fairly large crossover between sure. leading and parenting. Yeah, um, and I think I love that process. I love having spiritual sons and daughters. I love having a collection of people that you get to invest in consistently and diligently. I really like that yeah, part. Yeah, awesome. And then watch what God does. Mm-hmm. I mean, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, talk to me about some of the costs, your personal costs of leadership. 
Um, I think you can get misunderstood a lot, you know, where people, I, I think it's, and, and I did this, um, you know, years ago too, where, you know, you come to church and you bring all of your wounding with you. And until God's dealt with a lot of it, often whatever authority stuff you've had from the way you grew up at home, you just right. place on the pastor and his wife, you know? Um, <laughs> so, uh, I think some of the things that are difficult about it are um, realizing that, that uh, I don't know, people misunderstand based on the hurts that they've been through in previous times. Right. And I, I also think it's, it's, I mean, for me right now, it's hard to balance work and family and, um, you know, the, our kids are really super important that it, they know that they're loved and they're not second to the church and that kind of stuff. Um, so the balance of wanting to make sure that the people that you're pastoring know that you love them and that they feel loved well, right? but also making sure that our kids know that they're loved and, you know, loved well. So I, I think those are some of the costs or the challenges. We were teaching on this this weekend, you know, we, part of the reason we took all our leaders away was to kind of give them a, a training, a boot camp training for the leadership role they're about to step in. And I was thinking about part of the cost of leadership or part of the, you know, and it's a huge privilege, so this isn't a negative at all, but it's actually ensuring that you have enough love in the bank Mm -hmm. so that the people you're leading, you know, when they get hurt or they lash out at you, their heart gets absorbed by the love that you have that's an overflow of the Father. The danger is when you're running on empty, (laughs) <laughs> to not send a bad example in by lashing out or you know responding yeah, in hurt or defending it yourself personally yeah right yeah and so i think i think there is a burden of leadership that's very very real but the truth is if we are constantly grounded in the father's love that burden becomes very very light mm-hmm. um but i love it i absolutely love the resp- i kind of a huge privilege mm-hmm. to get to that's lead awesome. people i think it's i don't want to do anything else uh, Brian Johnson tweeted this brilliant thing that I, I saw and favorited a while back, actually 49 days ago, according to Twitter. He did this, what I've learned in leading people is if I take two extra minutes to communicate clearly, it will save me two years of fixing problems. No, oh, that's excellent. <laughs> what would you say is the biggest thing that you have learned about leading in the last five years? Do you like that I'm just throwing you these softball questions? Yeah. I'm like, thanks for the warning, babe. Please remember my contemplator is my second language. <laughs> the biggest thing. Do, do, do. The do, biggest do, thing. Do, do. Um, well, ah, thing that you have learned then. Let's, let's narrow it down from the biggest thing ever, and this better be absolutely precise, to what is a thing that you have learned in the last five years? What's a thing that you have learned in the last five years? I have learned that my actions can be sending disrespect messages to the people that I love without me knowing it. For example, as a very high doer, a high intensity person who likes to finish a task, it is entirely feasible that I can turn up to speak at a church or a conference and my whole focus is to get my laptop set up and have my material ready to deliver so that I can bless the people with the sermon that I've been working on that I really think the Lord wants to 
to bring and deliver. Mm-hmm. But I can be so focused on that task that I may have just walked past 20, 30 people who I love, but I haven't even noticed them because I'm so focused. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not careful, I've just, it doesn't matter what I say. It's that old adage of, I don't care how much you know till I know how much you care. I've just communicated, I don't care about you. Mm-hmm. I care about setting my laptop up. And that mm-hmm. isn't true. I really do care about you. But for, you know, in that moment, I'm focused on this. Mm-hmm. So I remember Jeff Dollar, after a couple of months of us running Eminate, came to Eminate one night and he took me aside and he was like, hey, can I give you a little bit of advice? I was like, sure you can. He's like, I've noticed that you walk back and forward, you know, either to the sound desk or to the video board or whatever. I said, yeah. He says, when you do that, walk slower. Hmm. Because he said, you know, your, your, your goal is to get to the back. And of course I'm thinking, of course it is. I want to get to the back and make sure that my stuff is working. He said, yeah, but in doing that, you've just passed 50 people and you haven't acknowledged any of them. And that's, that might seem like a trivial example, but I've realized in reflection, oh God, my actions, my words, my tweets may be communicating something that, that isn't actually in my heart. Mm-hmm. And so I actually having to think, okay, right. Yeah, people um, need to matter more than the plan. Right. right. Is my heart communicating mm-hmm. disrespect messages mm-hmm. that I'm unaware of? Yeah. And at times they are, and I'm deeply sorry if you're listening to this, that I've ever communicated dishonor or disrespect to you unknowingly. And I would say, I'm because I'm, we're wired fairly similar, I would say I've, a similar thing. As I, as I think about the leaders again who have touched my life and brought transformation. It's rarely been through their sermon. It's usually been through a, you know, a 30 second or a couple minute connect where I felt like I was heard and understood Mm -hmm. and I mattered. And so I could then receive from the Lord again, you know, like that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I guess slowing down and taking time for the moment. I would say the scariest verse in scripture for any leader is first Corinthians 11 verse one where Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So the challenge for us as leaders is when we walk in and just say to our team, hey guys, just emulate me as I emulate Christ. Hmm. I'm like, really? Do I want want them communicating to others the way I communicate to others? And so that's a great benchmark that Paul set out for there. And the challenge and the joy is being empowered by the Holy Spirit to live that and being humble enough to acknowledge when you haven't and you know actually keeping short accounts to say oh i'm so sorry i let you down in that area would you i missed it anything else you want to say about leadership before we wrap this puppy up i think it's i think it's fun to be a leader i think sometimes you can talk about leadership and it can sound to other people like oh leadership sounds horrible it's not horrible it's 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 wonderful and it's an incredible privilege um but it is challenging and it's because you if you want to be a good leader, you need to constantly be examining yourself so that um, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to do what he needs to do through you in order to do what he wants to do through others. I'm going to end this with a reflection from Rick Warren. Tweet this out. This is brilliant. He said, great people aren't born. They're ordinary people who become great by their great commitment to a great cause. Mm. If you have got any feedback for us, we'd love to hear from you at alanandaj.com. Just visit there, scroll to the bottom. There's a little contact us. If you click on that, you can send us feedback. If you have a question for us, you can send it via Twitter or alanandaj.com slash ask. This week, if you visit our website, you will find a brand new article entitled How to Be Utterly Awesome for your digestion. Well, that's not right. You're not digesting it for your reading pleasure. There you go. We hope you have an incredible week. 
Yeah. We're really grateful for you as listeners. And uh, we will see you same time next week. Next week. <laughs>